Slips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Warning, warning. We gotta stop us! They're gonna kill us all! See how the trouble you've started? Be they the government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone, or human beings. Time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart, that you can't take part, you can't even passively take part, and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop, and you've got to win the game to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You called down the thunder, well now you've got it. Right, you tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution Radio. We did not engage in conflict that was out of line with our mission. Is it disloyalty? Is it sedition? Is it treason to oppose the hands of tyranny? Never! I will never send troops anywhere on a mission of that kind without telling them that if somebody shoots at them, they can darn well shoot back. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty! Oh, give me! A dark cloud is finally lifting across the world as U.S. military intelligence and their global partners are destroying the deep state criminal power structure that has ruled over our planet for hundreds of years. We are free with the God-given rights, and we shall not yield that right to any power on Earth. Hi, I'm Scott McKay. The world is at, and I am your host on The Tipping Point. On Revolution Radio, where every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we bring you the latest in this ensuing takedown of this global criminal empire. That's an image of strength. You'll get the raw, hard truth here on The Tipping Point. So come join us Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, in Studio B at Revolution.Radio. Thanks for listening while we took that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. Okay, good morning, good afternoon, uh, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Uh, It's 4 p.m. in the UK where I am. It's 11 a.m. on the East Coast in the States. Uh, You're listening to Free Association. I'm here every week on a Saturday afternoon for me, Saturday morning probably for you. Uh, I do have listeners all over the planet, though, just to be clear about that. I've uh, I've been posting the show to Podbean and Podomatic uh, as a podcast, and I've got listeners in South Africa, in Brazil, all over Europe, uh, Mexico, Canada, United States, Australia, uh, even India. I think there's even a listener in Kenya. 
uh, and all over Europe. So, and Eastern Europe, there's even listeners in Russia now. So it's taken a little while, it's taken a bit of time to build up, but I, I kind of started to get some confirmation that there's a, a market for what I'm doing. There's listeners, there's a, an audience for what I'm doing. Audience is a better word. So now that I know that, uh, now that I know that, I'm, I'm a lot happier about doing what I'm doing. Uh, because if I, was, if I was just doing it for two men and a dog, I would still do it. And I still approach it like it's Madison Square Garden. Uh, but the feedback makes it easier, just makes it easier. So the feedback from the numbers for the audience uh, makes it easier. And I get that from the podcast version rather than the radio show. I know there's people in the chat room listening, the chat room at Revolution Radio. Uh, if you want to join in the conversation, come down to revolution.radio. Sign up for Chatsy. Just all you need to do is put a username in. I don't think you need a password at the moment. Uh, and that's where the, the conversations happen on here. So you're very welcome to, to join join with what we're doing on the station. There's two studios running 24 hours a day, more or less. Studio A runs 24 hours. Studio B runs about 18 hours, uh, depending on what day of the week it is. But um, usually there's something on there. You might not like it. You might like some of it. You might hate some of it. But it's all, it's all free speech. It's all people expressing themselves, people being authentic. And that's what it's that's what the station's about, really. It's about people being authentic. Whether you agree with them or not is irrelevant. Everyone's got a right to say it and think the way that they say and think. And uh, including me. And I'm exercising that in two or three different places at the moment. So I'm having a casual day because I'm taking it fairly easy. Um, I couldn't work out what to do as a topic for the show. I'm Street, welcome. And uh, there was a conversation yesterday in the chat room about uh, Russell T. Davies coming back to Doctor Who as showrunner. So I decided to combine Doctor Who with uh, with yesterday's, with last week's eugenics thing. So I've got a, I've got a video to play. Uh, which is Doctor Who, but it's, it's uh, Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, all right, it's trouble with these studios. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll drop out and come back in and see if that improves things. Okay, that sounded like something happened, so I'm guessing I might be back on, on air again. Can somebody in the chat room let me know if you can hear me? Because Skype's making all the right noises, so I'm going to assume that I'm back and just carry on. All right, so it's a casual show anyway, so I'm not too worried about tech issues. Okay, cool. I'll carry on. Carry on regardless anyway, really. So I've got a video, I did have a video set up, which I'm going to have to set up again now, uh, which is 20 minutes of uh, somebody talking about Genesis of the Daleks. 
and I was looking for somebody to explain the story, but this this one's more of a of an overall review. But it's it's fine. It's twenty minutes, so it's about the right length for what I want to do with it. And uh, just a little a little bit of my my kind of personal history with Doctor Who. I've been watching Doctor Who since I was four years old, probably younger. I used to watch from behind the sofa, as you do when you're four years old. Uh, I didn't like the music. I didn't like the theme music. I was all right with the show, but uh, the theme music used to scare the crap out of me. So straight behind the sofa while the, while the show's starting, and then sit down and watch it. And it's fun to be frightened when you're four years old. So it's not a big deal, really. If you know that if you know that you, I'll be in my grandmother's house on a Saturday afternoon watching Doctor Who. So all good, safe space, and you know you know you're not actually in danger, even though you might be frightened. So it's all good. Now let me find this video. So Genesis of the Daleks. I'm not going to read from Wikipedia because I did that last week and I don't really like doing it. I'd rather just talk and even if I don't get it all completely right, at least it's me talking rather than somebody else. So Genesis of the Daleks, I looked it up earlier on, so I'll tell you what I can remember. Uh, it, was made, it was a six-parter uh, made in 1975, starring Tom Baker as, Do as Doctor Who. And... Uh, just going to share my screen make sure that part works get the tech working properly and then i'll play the video if you can just let me know when you can hear the video and all will be good from that point on for about 20 minutes at least and i'll say hello to people in the chat room after i've played this video it's called genesis of the daleks it's on the mr tardis channel on youtube it's quite a good review all in all our battle cry will be total extermination. They are to be exterminated. Exterminate, annihilate, destroy. Daleks conquer and destroy. Exterminate them. The Daleks shall sweep away Gullifrey. Do not deviate. Exterminate. Yeah, it's alright. Okay, okay, I'm only kidding, but the fact that I'm making a joke about this story in that way kind of suggests the reputation that Genesis of the Daleks has. It's one of the big ones, rarely absent from a top 5 list, let alone a top Dalek stories list. Made even more impressive that this story is in Tom Baker's first season as the Doctor. I don't think any Doctor has had a story this mature, complex, and multifaceted in their first seasonal outing, outside of Eccleston, though that was his only season, to be fair. But let me back up. Genesis of the Daleks started off as a pretty conventional Dalek story. The showrunners asked Terry Nation to write them a Dalek serial, which he did, but while that script was reported to have been solid, it was very derivative of the last few stories that Terry had written. So they went back to the drawing board and decided to depict 
the genesis of the Daleks. The story opens with soldiers on a misty battlefield being gunned down, and yeah, this is a Terry Nation script, alright. We then get our inciting incident. The Time Lords foresee a time where the Daleks do become the uncontested rulers of the universe, so to stop that from happening, they task the fourth Doctor, played by Tom Baker and companions Sarah Jane Smith and Harry Sullivan, to travel to the planet Scarrow in order to prevent the creations of the Daleks, or failing that, alter their development. They arrive a thousand years into the Thala and Khalid nuclear war, along with a third faction of mutated or injured left to die in the wastelands between the two cities. But in the Khalid city, Davros, played by Michael Wisher, has been accelerating the mutation process in a series of experiments to find out the final form of the Khalids, and also provide a travel machine for them, which he dubs the Dalek. As the Doctor and co are there to try and put an end to Davros's plans, as well as some skeptical Khalids and the opposing Thals, we're shown just how easily good-meaning individuals can succumb to a fascist regime. It's no secret that the Daleks were inspired by the Nazi political party in World War II, but Genesis of the Daleks is easily the most open about those inspirations, right from the off. One of the first people the Doctor meets in the Khalid city is a group of teenage soldiers wearing black, doing Nazi-style salutes and announcing their intentions very, very loudly. Take a good look. In a few weeks, we're going to change the shape of that map forever. We'll wipe the Thals from the face of Scarrow. Yes, I do beg your pardon. When victory is ours, we'll wipe every trace of the Thals and their city from the face of this land. We will avenge the deaths of all Khalids who've fallen in the cause of right and justice and build a peace which will be a monument to their sacrifice. Our battle cry will be total extermination of the Thals. But why is this obvious child a military officer? Well, the Thal and Khalid war has cleaned out both cities of resources. Ammunition is limited, they're combining old and new materials to make outfits, even propping up the dead corpses to make the trenches appear fully occupied. Terry Nation has always been good at world building, but he goes above and beyond here to make the Khalid city appear like a barely functioning military society inhabited by desperate, struggling people. And here's the thing about Genesis of the Daleks. Every character is memorable and well fleshed out. From Raven, the soldier way too young and eager to impress, Ronson, the scientist with a moral compass, Garmin, the head of the military who wants a bloodless revolution, Severin, the muto built for resistance, the list goes on and on. She is a gnome. All gnomes are our enemies. Kill her now for what she's done to our kind. Now why? Why must we always destroy beauty? Why kill another creature because it is not in our image? Kill her! It is the law. All norms must die. Yeah, the characters are often broad, but their performances ensure that they are all memorable, and with a cast this big over the course of six episodes, they're about as well-developed as they can be. But in the end, this is Davros's story, and this guy is incredibly complex. He's a crippled old man, yet everyone in the room listens to him when he talks. It was a stroke of genius to cast an actor who had previously done Dalek voices in previous stories to play this role, especially when he raises his voice. Now I will command, and you will obey. You will do as I order! It's one hell of a performance as well. Not only do you hang on to every line of dialogue thanks to Wish's delivery and inflections, but the limited physicality he gives to the role is equally thoughtful. 
like this chilling scene where Davros's associate, Nida, is updating him on the impending rebellion, and he's just silently tapping his hand on his control panel. We have no idea what he's thinking, but we're still hanging onto his every action. But as a character, Davros is a fascinating depiction of totalitarian leadership. Yes, he shuts down dissent and has programmed his Dalek creatures to be without feeling or emotion and to be ruthless killing machines in order to become the superior race, but here's the thing. Davros actually does have something resembling a moral code, it's just put across in his motivations. In part 5, the Doctor and Davros have a proper sit-down chat about the Daleks, and despite the Doctor being a time traveller who has seen what the Daleks' future holds, Davros does not accept that his creations are evil. It's not the machines, it's the minds of the creatures inside them. Minds that you created, they are totally evil. Evil? No! No, I will not accept that. They are conditioned simply to survive. They can survive only by becoming the dominant species. When all other life forms are suppressed, when the Daleks are the supreme rulers of the universe, then you will have peace. Wars will end. They are the power not of evil, but of good. In fact, during this sequence, the Doctor gives Davros the option to be remembered as a force of good for the universe. He considers it, but quickly changes the subject. Why not make them a force for good throughout the universe? I could do it. Then do it. Be remembered for that. You have seen my Daleks in battle? What motivates someone to essentially turn down an offer for peaceful coexistence? Well, Davros is the type of person who believes it to be impossible. I have introduced aggression, without which no race can survive. But aggression without a conscience. History will show that cooperation between different species is impossible. One race must survive all others, and to do this it must dominate ruthlessly. He doesn't give any actual examples though. Of course he doesn't. Fascist leaders don't rely on reality, and for his own moral code, he doesn't need one. It's an irrational fear that he has committed his life to. It informs his entire worldview. They talk of democracy, freedom, fairness. Those are the creeds of cowards. The ones who will listen to a thousand viewpoints and try to satisfy them all. Achievement comes through absolute power. And power through strength. They have lost. But he's also a great negotiator. He's able to manipulate the doctor. At one point, he tries to emotionally toy with one of the officers who, at this point, I don't even think we've met in the story. But it's just Terry Nation's great storytelling and world building on display. Ramos, I saved your life once. In your chest is a tiny instrument which I designed. It keeps your heart beating. Will you now turn that heart against me? And get a load of this. So the scientific tribunal decided to shut down Davros's experiments pending investigation. Rather than let that happen, Davros and Nida go to the Thals and offer them a formula which will destroy the Khalid city's protective dome. When the Thals succeed in destroying it, look at how Davros responds to his own betrayal. How could the Thals have found the formula to destroy our dome? Someone has betrayed us. That's impossible. Only a handful of us knew the formula. No member of the elite would have given the secret to the Thals. Nevertheless, someone has. And his treachery has resulted in the total extermination of our people. 
Let the vengeance begin with the death of the arch traitor, Gonzal Spy, Bronson! No! Gavros! Exterminate! Exterminate! No! Exterminate! No! Today, the Khaled race is ended, consumed in a fire of war, but from its ashes will rise a new race, the supreme creature, the ultimate conqueror of the universe, the Dalek! This is a scarily accurate depiction of fascism, especially how fascist leaders will often engineer the destruction of their own people as another layer of control and deception. Why? So they can remain in charge. I allowed this charade to be played out for one reason only. To find those men who were truly loyal to me, and to discover those who would betray me. We, I will go on. You are insane, Devros. But let's talk about Nida, played by Peter Niles, because this is one of the best villain performances of the classic series. Not only is he clearly inspired by Nazi leaders like Heinrich Himmler, Nida even wears an iron cross on his uniform, but you think you know where this arc is going. You think that he might start as someone who is loyal to Davros, but after discovering the lengths that he will go to to create the Daleks, he'll defect. The Council assigned the death warrant of the whole of the Khalid people. Only we! The elite, we and the Daleks will go on. The whole of the Carlet people, you would go that far? Did you ever doubt it? And it appears that he starts to do so by teaming up with Garmin. However... Right, I'll try and get some of the military elite on our side. Who can you count on? Carvel, Frenton, Paren. But there'll be more soon, I'm sure of it. Thank you. That's what I wanted to know. <laughs> oh, shit. Nida sticks with Davros and doesn't deviate from his plans, only for Nida, once the Daleks gain authority, to be gunned down without a second thought by the Daleks. Nida. Yes, Davros. <laughs> It's so anticlimactic, and it's so perfect. But let's talk about the Daleks real quick. Yeah, they're playing second fiddle to Davros in this story, but they're still given real presence. The way they're shot by director David Maloney is unlike anything we've seen before in the series. There's some terrific shots and moments, including their introduction to the story. Observe the test closely, my friend. This will be a moment that will live in history. But even in their first public demonstration, listen carefully to what the Daleks' first words in the story are. Brilliant! It has detected the non-conformity! Alien! 
I must exterminate. Davros has created something whose primary impulse is to kill. And later, that impulse comes back to bite Davros in the ass because the irrational fear and hatred of others that he has spawned in the Daleks is an impulse that ultimately cannot be controlled. All inferior creatures are to be considered the enemy of the Daleks and destroyed. No, wait! Those men are scientists. They can help you. Let them live. Have pity! Pity! I have no understanding of the word. It is not registered in my vocabulary bank. Exterminate! We are the superior beings! Davros creates the Daleks, and they kill him for it. It's the perfect ending to this story, but throughout, the Doctor has his own qualms about killing, as when he's given the opportunity to destroy the room where the Dalek creatures are being stored, he hesitates. We're talking about the Daleks, the most evil creatures ever invented. You must destroy them. You must complete your mission for the Time Lords. Do I have the right? Simply touch one wire against the other. And it's it. The Daleks cease to exist. Hundreds of millions of people, thousands of generations can live without fear, in peace. I never even know the word Dalek. But if I kill, wipe out a whole intelligent life form, then I become like them. I'd be no better than the Daleks. Think of all the suffering there'll be if you don't do it. This isn't just big idea sci-fi, this is a fascinating philosophical question. You can rid the universe of a great evil, but in doing so, you'd be no better than the evil you aim to destroy. And if you're in the middle of their creation, they haven't technically done those acts of evil yet. Is there a better way? I mean, I don't think it's that complicated, I think Sarah Jane has got the right idea, but this is still something that the Doctor does struggle with. Speaking of Sarah Jane, she is fun and proactive in this story, instigating a rebellion in the Thal city, though it does wind up getting a lot of people killed, leading to this cliffhanger ending as she and others try to climb up a rocket to escape through the roof. The issue here, apart from the cheesy freeze frame, is that the cliffhanger is a cheat. She falls straight down outside of the scaffolding, only to see next week that she's fallen on another piece of scaffolding on the inside. Apart from the first episode ending with the weapons testing, the cliffhangers aren't particularly memorable, and there's also a bit of padding with one scene having Ian getting his leg bitten by a giant clam. <laughs> That's such a strange sentence to say out loud. Also, while it's a good observation that most fascist hierarchical structures put men on the top, the entire story is a bit of a sausage fest. Apart from Sarah Jane, there's only one woman in the entire story, a Thal soldier named Betten. This feels a bit off, considering that we're nearing the end of a thousand-year-long war involving multiple generations and descendants. Betten must be very popular. 
But aside from that, Genesis of the Daleks is a thrilling, uncompromising viewing experience. It's one hell of a well-written story with memorable characters, thought-provoking themes, a compelling question at its centre that never feels like it's overstaying its welcome despite its six-episode runtime. But what stands out about Genesis of the Daleks is that when compared to other stories of its time, everything feels amped up somehow. The direction, the acting, the production values, it feels like everyone involved is firing on all cylinders to create a story that's truly exceptional television, whilst also occasionally finding moments of levity and hope, despite this ultimately being a story about failure. Everyone who opposed and supported Davros dies. The Doctor fails in his mission, but he still has an optimistic outlook on the future. You don't seem too disappointed. We failed. Failed? No, not really. You see, I know that although the Daleks will create havoc and destruction for millions of years, I know also that out of their evil must come something good. And I'm just as optimistic about the future of the Daleks. We've seen their genesis, but I can't wait to see what their destiny will ultimately be next time on Dalek Semba. Okay, so <clears throat> I make no apologies for playing that because I'm a I'm a big Doctor Who fan from years ago. I was ten years old when they made that series, and I remember a, a, a lot of it. I remember the dialogue particularly. There's a, the scene, the scene where he's uh, potentially going to completely kill the Daleks in their in their embryonic form is wonderful it's beautifully written and it's wonderfully acted and i'm just trying to find I, I had another video lined up with just that dialogue dialogue in it and i can't find it now so never mind i'll do something else um there's another one on the mr tardis channel which is about the resurrection of the daleks which i think is a more modern a more modern version. It's the uh, when they rebooted Doctor Who in two thousand and five, they they messed about with it a bit, but it works kind of. But the the old series and the new series are very different in style, uh, and very different in in the level of budget they had. But I'll give this a go. It's twenty minutes, so it's about the right length. And if it's rubbish, I'll stop it and we'll do something else. So this is about resurrection of the Daleks. Our battle cry will be total extermination. They are to be exterminated. Exterminate, annihilate, destroy. Daleks conquer and destroy. Exterminate them. The Daleks shall sweep away Gullivray. Do not deviate.
Destiny of the Daleks basically took the Daleks to the point of no return. The most viewed Dalek story in the show's history had the iconic Pepper Potts subservient to Davros, and now he wasn't just an established part of the universe, but his revival was established as well, meaning that four and a half years later, we got Resurrection of the Daleks, written by Eric Sayward. Why Sayward and not Terry Nation? Well, in 1980, Nation moved to America to expand his writing career. Sayward was responsible a few seasons prior to this for taking an iconic recurring villain with the Cybermen and revamping them for the 1980s, so expectations were high for him to do the same with the Daleks. Did he succeed? Well, yes and no, but let me back up. The plot involves the fifth Doctor, played by Peter Davison, and companions Tegan and Turlow getting trapped in a time corridor which has been created by the Daleks. All the while, the Daleks hijack a prisoner ship which contains Davros, who has been cryogenically frozen for 90 years as a prisoner of the human race. The Daleks, led by the Dalek Supreme and with the assistance of the mercenary Lytton, want Davros to engineer a cure for a virus which caused them to lose their war with the Mavalans. And blimey, after that brief description, subplots abound. We've got a group of survivors on the prison ship who try to regain control with the help of Turlo. Davros is planning his own betrayal by converting the Daleks that are sent to assist him. There's a group of soldiers on Earth who work with Tegan, a group of prisoners who escaped Dalek control and are now on the run, with one of them assisting the Doctor on the Dalek ship. But then the Doctor gets kidnapped as part of a Dalek plot to duplicate him and his companions so they can assassinate the members of the Gallifreyan High Council. Holy shit, Resurrection of the Daleks is bursting with plot. So much so that there are plot holes everywhere. For example, the story opens on the streets of London with a group of people escaping a building only to be gunned down by police along with an innocent witness. Yeah, it's an effective opening and in terms of starting the story off with a dark hook, it would make Terry Nation proud, but we never find out who the prisoners are. Are they duplicates? Are they victims of a prior Dalek plot? Seriously, who are they? We do know the identity of one of them though. One of the prisoners is called Stein, who teams up with the Doctor to try and take down the Daleks, even though he's a self-confessed coward. I have to find the Dalek ship. I'm not going back there. They'll kill me. I need your help. Help? <laughs> you don't know how much of a coward I am. Well, you can take this opportunity to show me. Come along. But we learn at the end of part one that he's a Dalek agent and he's actually a duplicate, a product of Dalek technology. Here's the thing though, the script is so committed to Stein acting normal and being cowardly and not being a Dalek agent that the twist just doesn't work. There are several moments before the reveal where Stein is on his own acting perfectly normal and scared so this twist just isn't earned. Also, if Stein is a Dalek duplicate, then does that mean the other prisoners in the opening of the story were? And if they were Dalek agents, why did the police, who are also Dalek agents, gun them down? However, Stein does get a few good moments with the Daleks, like this one, who gives him proper evils when he messes up. Why isn't Davros here? I would have thought he wanted to see this. He is otherwise detained. So, he is here. Fucking prick. And on paper, his arc comes to a decent conclusion where he fights the Dalek conditioning and ultimately destroys the ship, but it still doesn't fit together. 
Anyway, the Daleks themselves are much more threatening than they were last time, mainly because the props don't look like they've been rotting in a BBC warehouse for five years. The Daleks open the story attacking a spaceship, and while their initial assault doesn't work, they use some form of toxic gas during their second attempt, and the results are harrowing. <coughs> Have I mentioned that this story is grim as hell? The Daleks also use their time corridor to send more of them to Earth, including one which is tasked to kill the Doctor, only for him to team up with soldiers and destroy the Daleks' eye stalk, a first for the series. Aim for the eyepiece! The stalk at the top of the dome! My vision is impaired! However, despite being pushed off the side of a building, the Dalek creature itself is still a threat, able to hide and attack the soldiers even removed from its casing with some sort of poisonous bite. It's a great and creepy set piece. Though since the Daleks are pretty capable, it makes you wonder why on earth they have humanoid mercenaries led by Lytton played by Maurice Colburn. Also, those Dalek trooper helmets, <laughs> they, uh, they leave uh, a lot to be desired. But here's the thing, I'm going to lay out the Dalek plan, and keep in mind that the Daleks chose to do these plans concurrently. Kidnap the Doctor, duplicate him and his companions so they can assassinate the Gallifreyan High Council. Retrieve Davros and have him develop a cure for the Mavellans. Infiltrate Earth with duplicates for an invasion, and those duplicates are also overseeing the safekeeping of the Mavellan virus. When you think about it, if the Daleks had chosen to do those things one at a time, they might have actually succeeded. If the Daleks hadn't kidnapped the Doctor, he might not have gotten involved and stopped them from saving Davros. It's because of the Daleks trapping the TARDIS in their time corridor that he's even in this story in the first place. And then it turns out that the time corridor wasn't their only means of trapping the Doctor. Took you long enough to ensnare the TARDIS in the time corridor. It was but one trap. Blimey. Okay, I need a break, and hey, we're halfway through Dalek Semba. Time for a word from our sponsors. When it is time to die, you will, in your agony, beg to pay homage to the Daleks. Doctor Who is back in one of the hottest computer games of the year. It's super arcade adventure all the way as you battle your way through five huge levels. Mutilate mutants, menace monsters and exterminate those evil Daleks before they exterminate you. Dalek Attack, the meanest game this side of Skyrim. A 
Attention all Daleks, look for these special Doctor Who packs of Weetabix. Each one has one of these four Doctor Who action games, three of these stand-up figures, and a secret message from the Time Lords. We must capture these special packs of Weetabix and exterminate, exterminate, exterminate. Collect the special Doctor Who Weetabix packs and enjoy your daily wheat while stocks last. Okay, and we're back. Let's talk about Davros, because we've had another recast. Taking over the role from David Goodison is Terry Malloy, and we've got a significantly improved mask as well. Firstly, Malloy's performance is terrific. He's able to do the mad loud ranting, but he's also able to be contemplative and manipulative and conniving. The creatures of Earth have no stomach for judicial murder. We prefer to leave you to slowly rot and die. They call it being humane. Davros is a multi-layered character again. Last time, Davros was willing to work with the Daleks despite their portrayal of him in Genesis of the Daleks, but here, his plans have been altered. He's eager to improve and work with the Daleks after his betrayal, but it's clear that neither side trusts the other, and it's fun to see Davros scheming behind the scenes to ensure his survival and improve his chances. However, on a story level, Davros makes a pretty strange first impression. The Daleks and the Mavellans were locked in an impasse. Each time their respective fleets attempted a stratagem, it was instantly anticipated and countered by their opponent's battle computer. Two totally illogical war machines unable to outthink each other. Fascinating! If only I'd been there. But, Davros, you were there. In fact, this exact same story was explained to you. Two gigantic computerized battle fleets locked together in deep space. Hundreds of galactic battle cruisers vying with each other for centuries, and not a shot fired. You have reached a logical impasse. Speaking of the Mavellans, so did they leave the virus canisters on Earth? If so, why leave them on a planet that the Daleks routinely invade? And if it wasn't them who left them on Earth, then why are the Daleks stockpiling a virus that can kill them if it leaks? Outside of that though, I like Malloy as Davros a lot, and the mask is a terrific prosthetic as well. We also have one of my favourite scenes of Dalek Sember so far, when the Doctor decides that Davros cannot be allowed to save the Daleks, and that he must kill him. Where are you going? To kill Davros. Doctor. I must. Davros created the Daleks, he must not be allowed to save them. Murder. Once before I held back from destroying the Daleks. It was a mistake I do not intend to repeat. And the doctor enters Davros's laboratory, holds a gun to his head, but does not pull the trigger. I'm not here as your prisoner, Davros! But your executioner. Listen to me. I had planned to completely redesign the Daleks. My mistake was making them totally ruthless. It restricted their ability to cope with creatures who rely not only on logic, but instinct and intuition. And are they to be programmed for that? They will learn to recognize the strength that can be drawn from such an emotion. But only to make the Daleks more efficient killers. To make them a more positive force. For destruction. The universe is at war, Doctor. Leave one planet whose history is not littered with atrocities and ambition for empire. It is a universal way of life. 
which I do not accept. This scene, in my opinion, rivals the one in Genesis of the Daleks when the fourth Doctor and Davros debate about the hypothetical virus, except this one feels more personal to the Doctor than it does to Davros. The fifth Doctor is my favourite Doctor, because of how challenged he was during the final days of his tenure. Season 21 is a dark series, despite it having the kindest and noblest Doctor, who knows what it takes to make the universe a better place, but is afraid to be the one to do it because he is crippled with an insecurity and self-doubt. The fifth Doctor is a good person who continually beats himself up because he can't be a better person. You hesitate, Doctor. If I were you, I would be dead. I lack your practice, Davros. You are soft, like all Time Lords. Action requires courage. Something you lack. And yeah, Resurrection of the Daleks is also a grim story in this season. The body count from the opening scene to the ending confrontation with the Daleks is staggering. There's a whole subplot with a group of survivors of the prison ship trying to break into the self-destruct chamber. Eric Sayward dedicates about an hour of screen time to this plot, and how does it end? They fail. They get stopped at the last minute with barely a second thought. Tegan teams up with one of the military officers on Earth, only for her to try and escape, and she's unceremoniously killed. All right, so the, the Peter, Peter Davidson was, was a pretty good Doctor Who, in my personal opinion. Tom Baker was better. Um, John Pertwee was better. Um, probably William Hartnell was better. I prefer... Doctor Who, when he's an old man, or at the very least a middle-aged man, simply because it, it's got more good, there's less action and more, more dialogue. And I prefer the dialogue-based shows rather than the action-based shows, but that's just me, personal preference. Obviously, it, it rotates, it, it moves between between old and young, it moves between action and philosophy, it moves between um, ensemble cast and uh, two headers. It, it, it varies a lot, and uh, but eugenics is a, is a theme, eugenics is a theme for Doctor Who over the last nearly 60 years, and it's a theme for humanity as well. I was thinking last night at about four o'clock in the morning that uh, there's a story arc going on. And if we take take the consciousness of humanity as a as a Doctor Who plot, then there's a story arc going on. It would have to be a series, really. Uh, and the 20th century was a fairly major a eugenics story arc, if we're going to interpret it in that way. I think that's... I'm, I'm kind of tackling eugenics without tackling it directly. I'm trying to do it indirectly, simply because it makes it easier for me to talk about things, and it makes it makes it easier for me to to link things together. But the the upshot is that when people decide that they're they're on a mission from God, 
and have been chosen or whatever, or they're the superior race, then everybody else ends up dead. And it doesn't matter whether it's uh, Germany or Uganda or Cambodia or Japan or or the United States. The principle is the same everywhere. If somebody decides that they're superior to somebody else, then the person who decides they're superior is going to end up killing everybody else. And it's not it's not a good it's not a good subplot. I think we have to learn to to not think in that particular way. And uh, and every nation on the planet's got to learn to think in that not to think in that particular way. Otherwise, you end up being on the receiving end of somebody else's eugenics eventually. So, so people who the people who dish it out end up being on the receiving end just as much because that's part of how how the universe mirrors back to you what what it is that you're doing so there's a lot of there's a lot of karmic mirroring going on uh, I'm not sure karmic's the right word but that's the nearest word I've got and uh, when you when you spot it on an individual level you can you can correct it's like a course correction on a navigation system but to do that with the whole human race is a bit tricky with human consciousness it's a bit trickier uh, but we'll get there in the end it might just it might take a few thousand years that's all it might take a few thousand years anyway that's pretty much it for this week uh, you can find me on Twitter I'm Dennis Barker on Twitter uh, you can also find me on Podbean and Podomatics, where uh, the show is called Free Association. Uh, it's called Free Association Freedom of Speech on Podomatic, and Free Association Radio Show Podcast and Roundtable on Podbean. So if you look for either of those in the place you find your podcasts, you'll find a version of uh, the show. Sometimes there's new, there's different content in different places with me. Sometimes I do new content for for Podomatic. I've been doing that this week, but it means I it means I neglect the other place, so I have to keep going backwards and forwards. But it seems to be working. I got I got the number one in the category I chose, so it's it, the activity is working for me, so I'm not going to complain too much. I can, I can live with having a week off a of pod being. So um, Rev Radio is listener supported, and there's a few people in the chat room. I should say I was going to say hello. So let's do that. And uh, if you've got any loose change burning a hole in your pocket, come down to revolution.radio uh, and make a donation or buy a, buy some merchandise or something and just support them. You can support the station that way. You can support by just being in the, in the chat room. So we've got Starfire 2025, Michael, we've got Dr. Memjing, we've got Azra, IDY Update, Captain Fred, Noreen's in the chat room as well, uh, Potentia, WH Devo, is that right? Did I say that right? CID, Chipward, Doug, Mer Bailey's in there, Monster 383, Lady Horse. Uh, Walter Mauser, WSOD, 
Tootsie, Comet, May Street, Cat Dog Girl, Jed Bear was in there earlier on. He's probably asleep now, I would imagine. He's been awake all night doing the, the overnight show. Mitzi's in there as well. So Laura Bell, Batsman, Malia. Uh, we're all in in there over the last 24 hours. Sorry, Sunflower's been in as well. Uh, Willow does a show on Mondays and Thursdays and Sundays now, uh, which is worth listening to. There's a lot of good shows on here. Some of them you like, some of them you won't. But but if you find half a dozen that you like, it's probably worth chipping in with a $5 a month donation. Uh, that's it for now. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your support. And have a good week. Jean Lindsay, the Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers from the cosmos about your love life or career, or just want to keep your finger on the pulse of the planet, check out my show, The Cosmic Oracle, here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Be evasive, but that doesn't mean that they're telling the truth as opposed to fiction. And Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, indicating that there were giants before the Nephilim. And sons of God, plural. They weren't talking about Jesus coming down. No, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh I'm Steve Crawford, host of Factor Theory Live. Join me every Sunday night from 10 p.m. till midnight Eastern Standard Time on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Check it out. What the heck is the truth, Jihad? Hey, I'm Kevin Barrett, host of Truth Jihad Radio. Federal prosecutors, Department of Homeland Security agents, and curious passers-by often ask me, just what is this Truth Jihad thing anyway? Well, everybody knows what truth is, but Jihad is a misunderstood term. Jihad means effort or struggle. The greater jihad is the struggle to be a better person, while the lesser jihad is the struggle to defend the community. Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, did say that the best jihad is a word of truth flung in the face of a tyrant. And that's what we do here at Truth Jihad Radio. Every Friday, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, 5 to 7 Pacific, right here on Revolution Radio.